thinking of yourself as a helper seems like a negative connotation, right? Like I'm a slave or I'm just here to serve someone else. But when we think about the role of husband and wife, we need to allow the Bible to define what those roles are and not just the term in English, but what it really means to be a helper. Let's get into that right now. Before we jump into today's episode, we just wanted to share a few things with you. First, we'd like you to like this episode and then subscribe to our podcast. If you're doing that on YouTube, also hit the bell notification so that you know when we post anything new and then share this with somebody that you feel like would be this would be beneficial for. That's right. If you would like to support our show further, uh, we would welcome that. You are welcome to do that at anchor.fm slash marriage by design to check out your options for supporting the program financially. Otherwise, guys, the links to our social media are always in the description of every video, so feel free to check those out there. And now, let's get to the show. Hey, everybody, I'm Nathan Warnock. You have reached me for Marriage Monday here on the Marriage by Design channel. This is a show that typically Andrea and I do every Monday where we take a look at what does the Bible say about God's design for marriage and how do we implement that practically into our marriages. As you uh, probably have noticed if you're watching uh, and will notice now if you're listening, Andrea's not with me today. She had a couple of things that she needed uh, to get done today. So I told her, well, hey, I'll jump in and and get this episode uh, on the road. So for today only, you get just Nathan. And we're going to continue our series on Marriage Monday of just going through verses in the Bible that talk about marriage. And uh, last week, we talked about uh, a verse in Genesis 1 that talks about the way that God created human beings, male and female. Love to have you go back and check that out. I'll link that here uh, if you're watching on YouTube. But today, we're going to go all the way over to chapter 2 of Genesis and take a look at verse 18. Now, chapter 2 of Genesis goes into a little bit more detail on God's creation of Adam. Of course, the first man uh, created Adam. And then Adam is charged by God with tending to the Garden of Eden. Interesting Oftentimes we talk about, well, what was the result of the fall? What was the result of original sin? And sometimes people say, well, now we have to work hard. Well, that's not actually entirely true. If you look at Genesis 3 and what it says about the fall, the fall was not that work was created. It's that the ground, because it was Adam was agrarian, right? He was, he was a farmer. Um, the ground now battles against him. So the work got harder, but work wasn't new. And in fact, if we see in Genesis 1, work is basically what Adam's given by God. You're going to go and uh, tend to the garden and take dominion over it, subduing the earth and having dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. That's back in Genesis 1.28. So... <laughs> Here's the problem. Adam's working the field and Adam, along with God, start to look around and go, huh, all these different animals, fish, birds, that 
Adam is cataloging and tending for in the garden, they all have multiples, right? They have their kind. And yet, as Adam looked through the garden, there wasn't any like him. And so God's going to look down on this too. And this is what the Lord God says in Genesis 2, uh, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That's the verse that we're going to look at today. Because, of course, if you've read Genesis 2 before, you know that the Lord is about to put Adam into a deep sleep. And he's going to take from Adam's body a rib. And from that rib, he's going to create Eve. And I'll admit to you, that all sounds kind of weird to me. And I'm not sure exactly uh, what that looked like. But that's what the Bible says. So uh, God's going to create Eve from Adam. And when we look back at, well, what's the purpose of Eve? This is where things can get a little prickly. Because the Lord says that I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, helper in the English language, when it comes to human beings, it can be a sticky thing to talk about, right? Because it sort of conjures up in our minds images of, you know, helper, like, like what, I'm the butler, or I'm the maid, or even further in American history and other parts of the world, what, I'm a slave to this person. And sadly, over human history, both men and women have misunderstood this dramatically and tragically, and it has created a rift between husband and wife, between men and women. It's created rifts in church bodies. It's created rifts amongst Christians, and it's created rifts amongst Christians and non-Christians. Unnecessarily. So what I want to do today is take a closer look at this verse, and then I want to address both wives and husbands directly and say, hey, as we think about what this verse says, let's change our way of thinking about what it means to be a helper. In fact, that's not even what the actual translation is. Um, So let's have a look at that and then uh, talk from there. So again, the verse Chapter 2, verse 18 says, I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll jump into some some bits of it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God's looking down, and this is, I think, maybe a good question for us to ask to make sure we understand this. So, uh, starting in 15, the Lord puts Adam in the garden uh, and asks him to tend it. The Lord tells him you can eat of every tree in the garden, but of course don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, if you eat of it, you'll die. That's when that brings us up to 18. So one question that I think is is worth asking straight away is, who's God talking to in this verse? Because this is set up as a quote. It's relayed by the Holy Spirit to Moses, who wrote Genesis, as a quote. And, of course, Moses wasn't there, right? He's writing this just strictly off the Holy Spirit telling him, hey, creation, this is how it went down. I want you to write this down so that uh, people who fear me for generations and generations, all of human history, can understand. So the Holy Spirit tells Moses, well, this is what God said. It's not good for the man should be, that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Well, we have to ask ourselves, who else was there 
right? I mean, he could be talking to Adam, although uh, kind of weird way to, to talk about it. You would think that this would be related as, then the Lord God said, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. I'll make a helper fit for you. That's not how he says it. he's talking about Adam in the third person. So here, here's the thing that we need to understand. God wasn't even alone, right? When we look at that word alone, it's not good that the man should be alone. The, the, the Hebrew word for alone is spelled B-A-D in English uh, literation. So uh, I, f- I found that just kind of comical uh, because God's saying this isn't good for man to be bad. Um, it's not good that Adam is alone. And that alone means without like kind, separated, uh, isolated. And the Lord's saying it's not good for man to be isolated. I mean, the Lord God's looking around and going, well, even I, God, have the Holy Spirit, right? If we go back to Genesis 1, it says the Spirit hovered over the waters, so we know the Holy Spirit was there at creation. And then if we go to John 1.1, talking about Jesus, the Word, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God the Father... God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit all here at creation while Adam's here. And the Lord God looks around and goes, well, we're not even alone. Like we even have the Trinity, the triune God here. And yet Adam is there working the garden all alone. That's not good. That word good means uh, in the Hebrew from a broad standpoint, it means uh, uh, not right right? Not correct, not ordered. Um, but it's talking about it. That word means it from a, like a 10,000 foot view, meaning like, it's not good that just Adam is alone. He's saying it's not good that man is alone, that mankind is alone. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be separated. He's saying that's not good. Adam's all alone. The man's all alone. And that's not the way it's intended to be. Now, interesting, because at this point, you're probably thinking, because this is what I thought when I first read this, why did he do it then? Because this is God, right? And this is the first time he's saying something's not good. If you remember all throughout creation, he created the sun, he created the moon, he created hard ground, he created water. And after each time, what does it say? And God said, it is good, right? He looked down and said, it's good. This is the first time he's going to look down and go, well, this is not good. So the question then remains of, well, and why did God do it? Did God mess up? Like God didn't know that this was going to be a problem. I've thought about this uh, for quite some time. And when I look at this, it's hard for me to not come to the conclusion that God's plan in creating Adam alone for a time was exactly this. So that God could make the point and have it recorded years later by Moses in the Bible that you and I can read, that God can make the point, it's not good for man to be alone. I think this whole story was orchestrated by God on purpose to make a point that choosing isolation is wrong and dangerous for human beings, for mankind. So often we want to try and isolate ourselves, 
right? When we're in a pattern of behavior that we know is not God honoring, maybe we're in a pattern of behavior we know isn't honoring our parents or honoring our spouse. What do we try to do? Do we usually like jump into community and like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. Could you just help me out with that? Maybe you do. Uh, And if you do, that's a sign of real spiritual maturity because most people want to go, I don't want to talk about that. I don't, I don't want to talk about struggles I'm having in my marriage. I don't, I don't want to, I want to talk about my kid that's starting to go down a path that's dangerous and I don't know how to stop them. I don't want to, I don't want to admit that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to hide it off. Right. And Satan tricks, tries to trick us with this little pecking in the back of our mind to go, you know, real Christians don't struggle with that thing. You know, a real godly father doesn't have kids that struggle with drugs or struggle with, you know, sexual relationships or struggle with being disrespectful or whatever the thing is. You know, real Christian couples have great marriages. They don't argue with your their spouse like you do. And it's all intended to get us to close off. And so the first thing I want to make isn't even a marriage point. It's a human point, which is the Lord God here is telling you it's not good for you to be alone. So don't choose isolation, right? And this is where I want to make a point because if you're listening to this on a marriage channel, you might be going, so then are you saying that it's wrong to be single? Absolutely not saying that. In fact, if you look in Matthew 19, if you look at the epistles that Paul writes, there are several times when Jesus in Matthew 19 and Paul and his epistles make it clear that it's preferable that you can be, that you be single. Because as we've talked about on this channel, if you're single, the only person taking your time is the Lord, right? The only person needing from you is God through the Holy Spirit. If we have a spouse, if we have children, if we have the family unit, our um, priorities have to change a little bit. And I don't mean God becomes number two. I mean, God respects your commitment to your spouse and your family. And so obeying God means to love your spouse or respect your husband. Love your wife or respect your husband. Uh, Honoring God means pouring into your children and spending time raising them. So those aren't, those don't detract from honoring God. Those are things we do to honor God. But the point that Jesus and Paul are saying is, look, if you can remain single and just be dedicated to the Lord's work, fantastic, do it. But then Jesus says, but don't burn in lust, right? Because we're created with a desire that's about to happen when Eve's made out of Adam. But God God makes Eve out of Adam's rib. Then he wakes Adam up and Adam goes in verse 23, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So he wakes up and there's a naked woman standing there and he goes, uh, this is a good thing, right? And he actually, the first thing out of his mouth is a dual praise to God and poem to the woman about how impressed he is with her and how grateful he is that he has her. All right, so we're made with that desire for intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. That's a God-given thing. So marriage isn't bad, um, but singleness isn't bad either. Here's what is bad, isolating yourself from a community. That's not how it was designed to be. That's what was not good for Adam. Adam didn't have guy friends and non-romantic girlfriends to hang out with. 
right? He had, he had nobody. He, he, he communed with God in the cool of the evening. The Bible talks about that. But apparently even that, according to God himself, it wasn't enough. He needed a community of others around him. And so God's going to use this need for community as an opportunity to introduce the, uh, the institution, uh, the covenant institution of marriage. So it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, that word helper in the Hebrew actually means a help meet, right? A, a someone who uh, um, is going to be meet the man where he needs help. Now, we oftentimes can think of this and think, okay, so what? Eve was Eve was made, and God said, "Look, this is your this is your helper." And Adam went, "Great. Let me write down a few things I need you to go take care of." And then he hit the hammock. Right? That's not how it went down, and that's not what it means to be a helpmeet. What what it means is that God created Eve to be able to do things that Adam struggled to do. The things that were most difficult for Adam, not because of how he managed his time, but because of who God created him to be. There are glaring weaknesses within the creation of man. And I mean males, men. Females complement those deficiencies that men are born with perfectly. And in the same way, there are deficiencies that women have that men can help them with. This is not a difficult thing to understand. We spent, we human, humankind has spent eons arguing these things, right? The thumbnail to our video a week ago was Andrea with Venus as, as a head and me with Mars as my head. Right? The men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We're different. And sometimes, oftentimes, we seem weird to each other. But the reality of the matter is that women were created to meet men in a way that we desperately need. That doesn't make women in any way subservient or less than or not measuring up to men. None of those. Any belief that that's what the Lord is doing here is a heresy because men and women are created in the image of God. Meaning when we come together as men and women, we create in unity, we create the image of God. So to say I'm somehow better than Andrea is, is a heresy. It's blasphemy. It's just frankly not true at a most basic doctrinal level. Instead, when I look at Andrea, my calling is to honor, revere, and love her as someone that God gave me because he looked down and went, that Nate Warnock, yikes, he's a mess. I should create someone that I'll bring into his life who can help him in all these laundry list of areas that he struggles in. And if I can bring Andrea alongside of him, and if he will submit to the covenant relationship I'm calling him into, then Andrea can make him more than he is on his own. And in the same way, my reciprocal love of her and revering and honoring her lifts her up to be more than she is alone. My younger brother got married um, several years ago, and I'm never going to forget something that his now father-in-law said at their 
reception. He was giving his toast and he said, when you come away from marriage, you will never be the same as you were going into the marriage. You will either be twice the man or woman that you were or half the man or woman that you were. And that really, really struck me. So what makes the difference? Well, what makes the difference is how you live out your marriage. Are you going to live your marriage out understanding God's design for husbands revering your wife as a helper that God looked down and said, bro, you're a wreck. You need some help. I'm sending somebody on the way. Right, that's what happened here. He looked down at Adam and went, Adam's juggling too much. He's a mess. Put him to sleep. Take out a rib. I'll create the perfect helpmeet for him. You know, it's interesting, wives, if you're still listening to this and going, I'm not convinced. That word helper is used several other times throughout the Bible, including it's the term that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. If you remember when Jesus is about, he knows he's, he knows he's dying, right? And he tells the, the disciples it maybe maybe after he has resurrected in that time he was spending with them. And he tells them, I will send a helper once I'm gone. That's the same term we're talking about here. So Jesus is even referring to the Holy Spirit using this same term. So for us to go, oh, that term helper, that's misogynistic and, and, and disgraceful and all the rest. Well, then you have to answer a really difficult question about why Jesus used that same term to describe another part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus wouldn't do that. He wouldn't refer to the Holy Spirit using a derogatory term. Right, That word helper means you need help, I'll send it. Right, God's saying, I understand you need help, it's on the way. And for us as husbands, God looked down at us before we were even born and went, Nathan's going to be a mess, he needs an Andrea, I'm going to make one and send it. And in the same way, he looked down at Andrea and went, man, she's got such an amazing heart. She just needs someone who's going to love and lift her up because that's how what I've created her to desire. I'm going to connect her and Nathan because while he's a train wreck, I trust that he'll learn how to love her the way I desire her to be loved because he loves me. And in the same way, I'm sure that she can submit to me humbly and submit to God humbly and come alongside Nathan and help him in all these areas that he's deficient in an effort to lift him up so that he can do the work that I've called him to do. See, we both are in this relationship in marriage where she's called alongside me because God made her incredibly to do amazing things. And then I get to love her in result. And as a result of that, both of us are going to be lifted up to be able to do the work that the Lord's called us to do. It's not a disgraceful term to be a helper. A helper. It's a term of honor, right? It's a term of um, designation of beauty. And here, when we see it used this first time in the Bible, so often we get distracted by our Englishized understanding of helper as being lesser, and it's not. God intended it to be greater, not lesser. So I hope as you read Genesis 2, 18 again, 
and think about it a bit yourselves. I hope you spend some time thinking, if you're a wife, are you helping, right? Are you fulfilling God's desire for you to come alongside your husband and help raise him up to more than he is on his own? And you know, you know those areas that you're good at that he's not. You probably right now could tell me, yeah, this is probably why God brought me alongside this knucklehead, right? Are you humbly submitting to that calling the Lord's put on your life? Or are you making sure to point out to him all those deficiencies that he has and how you're better at those things than he is? That's not being a helper. Proverbs talks about tearing down your house with the contentious woman tearing down her house with her own hands. When you tear him down, you tear down your house with your own hands. Don't be that. Don't, Don't be that woman. Husbands, are you honoring and loving your wife as a unique individual being that was called into existence, sent by God to help you in all the areas that you can't get it done yourself, right? To come alongside you and lift you up, right? To be an emotional soft place to land, to be someone to sharpen you mentally, um, to sharpen you spiritually, to keep you from getting lazy and becoming apathy man, which is so easy for us as men to do. Are you honoring her in that way? Again, Proverbs talks about the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. If I were to watch your relationship with your wife, the way you treat her, would I get walk away going, man, that guy understands he has a treasure. And I'm speaking to me because there's a lot of times that the way I speak to Andrea or the way I act towards her, I wouldn't want it broadcast on this channel because it's you guys that all go, man, you're a hypocrite. And you're right in some ways. I need to be better about honoring my wife as my treasure, as the helper that God looked down at me and said, I got to send him this because he's helpless on his own. I hope that clears up a little bit, some confusion that uh, we can sometimes see when we talk about Genesis 2 verse 18. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. I always appreciate getting these chances to share. Uh, Andrea, sorry that she had to miss it today, um, but she is putting her time to good use as well. So uh, next week, Labor Day weekend, uh, we will not have a new Marriage Monday, but we will be releasing the first of our new series called Stories of Hope. We will be interviewing a couple who really took seriously their dating and their engagement and how they went about dating and engagement uh, and and their relationship as a young married couple. So we wanted to pepper them with questions, give them an opportunity to share a little bit about how they allowed God to work through their dating and engagement. Hopefully you will view that as an opportunity to be encouraged. Maybe show it to your dating age kids or young adult kids. I think it would really be eye-opening for them to see what a big deal it can be to take those times in our relationships seriously. Guys, we'll have a Family Friday coming out this Thursday. Otherwise, Story of Hope next week. We'll see you back here in a couple weeks for Marriage Monday. Until then, guys, remember, God is for your marriage. Have a great week.